0: Welcome to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Thanks again for joining me. Today I'm going to talk about the playground of life. And I'm hopefully going to have much better sound quality than the last time. I apologize for that. But before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that You can find me on Apple Podcasts, and if you go there, then you can subscribe so that my podcast will be automatically downloaded onto your phone, where you can listen to them anytime you want. That's where I prefer to listen to my podcast, and I love listening to podcasts. But before we get started, here is a word from our sponsor, Anchor. I don't know if you can hear it, but the wind is blowing like crazy today. It's like the March wind did not show up until April, and uh, we're expecting some rain as well. So, how are things in your part of the world? Drop me a line at Blue Skies and Green Pastures blog at gmail.com and let me know. So, today we're going to talk about how playgrounds and, um, well, that playgrounds can be sort of a metaphor for life. Specifically, a certain piece of equipment, which I will reveal to you soon. But first, let's go back in time a little bit and reminisce about elementary school. When I was in elementary school, we had recess every day. And if it wasn't raining, we would have recess outside on the playground. If it was raining, we would go into what was called the P.E. room and we would play games in there or do whatever the teacher wanted us to do. Uh, Our favorite game was called Bombardment. And in this game, we would divide up the class into two groups, and then uh, the room was pretty empty, and it was like a rectangular shape, so half the class would be on one side of the room and half on the other side, and then we had a whole bunch of balls, and they would be lined up on a line in the middle of the room, like a dividing line. And if I recall, it seems like those balls were like fuzzy. I I may be wrong, but it seems like they were like little furry balls, but they must have had a little bit of weight to them because they weren't super lightweight. Um, And then maybe at some point we may have switched to plastic balls. I'm not sure. But anyway, the balls would be lined up, then the teacher would blow the whistle and Both sides, both teams would run forward and grab a ball, maybe two, and um, run back to their side of the room and then turn around and start throwing. And the other team would be throwing balls at you. So you would pick those balls up and throw them back again. So there would just be balls flying back and forth, back and forth. And the object of the game was to hit people with your balls. So the kids who were really serious about the game would, they would aim their balls and they would, they would aim them at the kids who were not looking. So they would be hitting people left and right. Kids would be out. You would get, if you got hit, you were out. And then you would have to go sit down. So the, the number of kids standing up throwing balls would be fewer and fewer well once there was only two kids left it could take a while for the game to be over and by that time everyone else was just sitting there watching and of course we you know we would be hoping that our team was going to win so we would be rooting for our guy the who had the last ball and a lot of times it was a guy sometimes it was a girl Uh, But you know those boys. They were very competitive back then in the 70s. Uh, So I think the teachers loved that game because we played it a lot. And I know the kids loved it. But some kids thought it was dumb or they were just lazy and didn't want to play. So they would just let themselves get hit by a ball on purpose so they could sit down and talk with their friends. I don't even know if kids are allowed to play games like that anymore. It seems like a little maybe too violent or something, but I hope they do get to play because it was a lot of fun. So recess and PE were supposed to be a time to burn off energy and then get back to work. I'm sure my teachers hoped that I would burn off some energy because I was kind of a talkative kid, and as I am now, I had trouble sitting still. Uh, For most kids, I would say that recess was the best part of the school day, or at least near the top of the list. It was a fun time to be with your friends, and um, talk, and play on the playground, and Even in elementary school, there were cliques and we had our little clubs. I remember being in a club with a few friends and, you know, we would write down things and make plans and it was all, it was all very fun pretending to be an adult at, you know, in elementary school. And of course, at that age, like third, fourth grade, we were also starting to think about boyfriends and girlfriends Thankfully, it was much uh, more innocent in those days than it seems to be now. Um, And all the while, getting some sunshine and fresh air and exercise. Now, at my school, uh, the playground was definitely not safe according to today's standards. Uh, In those days, kids were expected to have some common sense and some idea that if you did something stupid, that you might get hurt. So don't do stupid stuff. I think we had some gravel on the, on the ground around some of the equipment, the climbing equipment to protect the kids, but not all of it. I don't, I don't think there was any gravel at the bottom of the slides, but I don't remember for sure. Um, one thing I do remember is that those metal slides and even some of the other equipment would get extremely hot in the Texas sun in the most of the year. So you had to be really careful. And I'm pretty sure the teachers, you know, warned us about that as well. Today's playgrounds, um, which I haven't really been to a playground in a while because my kids are getting so old that that's a thing of the past, a happy memory of going to the park and watching the kids play and pushing them on the swings. Uh, But, But those playgrounds were mostly like red, yellow, blue, plastic, um, with maybe some older playgrounds had a lot of wood and not nearly as much metal. And most of them had some kind of bark or rubber stuff underneath them to protect the kids, which was not a bad thing. I can still picture my old school's playground in my mind uh, with fond memories We had a few swing sets, and they were very tall. The swings could swing really high because they had long chains. And the seats were the rubber type of seat that was kind of curved like a C-shape. Well, it would be flat, and then when you would sit on it, it would curve down. So it would kind of, you know, grip your butt when you sat in it. And I can still remember um, learning how to swing and learning how to pump my legs so that I could make myself get going. And I remember teaching my own children how to swing and, you know, having to tell them, you know, you got to push your legs up and down and, you know, they, they would get it. And then they would be so proud of themselves that they knew how to swing. Well, at my school, you could swing really high and I remember jumping off the swings and just flying through the air and as a side note um we know now that swinging is actually a therapeutic activity so um you know I don't know if they knew it in the 70s but they were actually helping a lot of kids uh, by having those swing sets and all the equipment but I digress um We also had some climbing structures. One was what I consider a monkey bar. uh, And that would be like it had two ladders and then a ladder across the top uh, that connected them. um, Like an upside down U-shaped ladder like thing. So you would you would climb up on the sides and then you would use your hands to go across by hanging on the bars and that was that required quite a bit of arm strength so i'm sure most of you remember that and then there was another thing if you look if you go to my blog you can see some some really cool pictures of some old climbing things And I don't don't remember what we called this thing, but it was just like a whole bunch of different bars, and so many kids could climb on it at one time, and we invented games, and we would do all kinds of stuff on that thing. Um, And if you were really brave, you would climb up all the way to the top and sit up there. Of course, that meant you had to climb back down, and I did not realize it at the time, but I actually had a bit of a fear of heights, even at that young age which I discovered when I started climbing mountains as an adult that I have a fear of heights but I'm working to overcome that Uh, anyway, the piece of equipment that I want to discuss today is one that I don't see on that many playgrounds anymore Uh, maybe some in small towns where they haven't had the money to upgrade, but that is the classic seesaw, I'm talking about not a super safe type, but the kind that's like a a long board and it just goes up and down, up and down. And back then, the seesaw that we had on our playground, it was so long that if you were the person that was on the high side, like one kid on one side was sitting on the ground and you were up in the air... You better hold on because if you fell off, you were going to fall a good 10 feet or so. And uh, sometimes kids were a little smart alecks and they would jump off the si- the seesaw so that the person that was up in the air would come crashing down. And that was uh, fairly painful. But, you know, we survived. Probably had, you know, slight spinal injuries that we didn't know about. Uh, the seesaw uh, sometimes required having two or more kids to balance uh, if everyone didn't weigh the same. So it was actually kind of a like a science thing as well, uh, learning about balancing, and it was fun. So what is so interesting about a seesaw? Well, if you had a seesaw that was a wooden board like we did you could walk up the ramp you could walk up it until you got to the middle and then of course once you got past the center point the board would twi- tilt down and you would start to go downhill. Now that was the fun part trying to control the tilt by balancing with your weight or if you were lazy you could just climb on at the center point and then stand up with with one foot on each side to balance it and then you could rock it back and forth and make it go up and down you know the the kind of things that kids love to do right and who knew how how good that exercise was that's really good exercise uh, balancing now you just have to pay money go to a gym or buy expensive equipment to do all these things as adults, of balancing, jumping, and climbing, but it's still fun. So I was thinking about seesaws today while I was running in the humidity, because it's getting pretty warm here in Texas, and humid, and it's like I said, it's going to rain, but to distract myself from the misery of the weather, and just because i like them i was listening to a podcast and this guy was talking about basically the the bad habit that people have of looking at things very black and white because in reality there's always more to it and you we do ourselves a disservice by not being willing to consider Uh, the other person's point of view. And that's one reason I like to follow email um, subscriptions of people who I don't necessarily agree with, because I I like to be exposed to both sides of an argument so that I can be more, more educated on, you know, understanding how the other person thinks and what their needs are, why they're doing the things that they're doing. Like, even if we don't agree with their methods, we we need to understand why they're doing that. Maybe, you know, we can compromise so that the other person can get what they want without um, affecting us in such a bad way. Maybe we can both be happy, but if we don't even consider their point of view, we'll never know because we don't know. We just see them as bad, bad, when in in reality, we're all living in this world together, so we should try to help each other and get along, right? Well, if you look at a seesaw and you think of God as being in the middle where the seesaw is connected, so... He, God is like the balancing point. And um, if you, then you notice that either end of the seesaw is equally far away from God. But what does the seesaw represent? Well, the seesaw can represent issues that people debate and argue and fight over. This can be anything because people love to argue. It can be religious topics like law versus works. It can be um, cultural things such as holding on to traditions versus seeking new things, uh, creating new, new ways of doing things. It can be personal um, ways of living such as individuality versus uh, thinking of the community as being more important. It can be personal rights versus uh, public needs. Really, anything that can be believed or pursued as a goal can be taken to one extreme or the other to the detriment of yourself or society. And of course, that can also include various things like uh, food and other things that are good, but they can also be abused. So what usually happens is that people are not happy with the way things are, are, so they come up with a plan to fix it. So if you think of that as they start to, they climb on the seesaw, and they start moving up the seesaw towards their goal. And as things start to change and get better, the seesaw is moving, And it's starting to flatten out and get more balanced. But what usually happens is these these people that are devoted to their cause, they keep moving forward past the point when they should have stopped. And all of a sudden, the seesaw starts to go down. So what do the people do? They try to balance the seesaw by bringing in more money and more people and more um, anger and just more stuff on their side of the seesaw to try to keep it balanced uh, or from tipping towards the other side. But what usually happens is the whole seesaw falls apart, it breaks down And everyone who is on the seesaw comes crashing down, boom. Sounds like what happens with our economy, right? Up and down, up and down, up and down. With short periods of stability in the middle when things are going pretty well. And then, again, somebody wants to change things again. They want more of something. They... They want other people to have less, and that's just the way it is. But this is just the nature of the world that we live in for now, and it won't ever be totally balanced until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. But until then, Christians who love God should stick close to the middle of the seesaw, by staying true to God's teachings and showing the world that God offers His mercy and forgiveness to them through our example of offering love and mercy to those around us. That can be people in need. That can be people who we disagree with. That can be people who are downtrodden, people who are lonely, uh, Jesus Jesus gave us not just the job of sharing the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins, but also of helping other people. Um, he says that love, love is the greatest commandment. So while you're standing on that seesaw, keep in mind that love and God is in the middle. So try not to go from one extreme to the other. And just remember to teach your kids to do the same. Tell them to play with the lonely kids on the playground. Share their lunch or their snack. And invite them, invite them into their group. Because in, in so doing, we are showing the love of Jesus to the world. So I hope you enjoyed our podcast today about the pre- playground of life and the seesaw, and I, I hope that it helps you and encourages you to be a light in the world and be a bring a balancing um, s- sense of peace into your workplace, your family, your friendships, and and God will bless you for it. So take care. And be sure to check back again for more podcasts. Bye now.